Things have changed, but back in 1991, in a study on the book of Revelation, Bible teacher Ray Stedman wrote, again, this is from 1991, so you've got to factor that in while, I, while I'm reading this. He wrote, I grew up in the Great Plains of Montana during the summer months. We frequently experienced sudden thunderstorms. Often before the storm, there would be an, an eerie calm, a sense of ominous foreboding in the air. Something was coming. We could feel it. It was as though the impending storm hung over our heads, dark and threatening. It's pent-up violence waiting to be unleashed. It continued, uh, That is the mood we sense in the affairs of the world today, a calm. Again, this is 1991. He continued, Even after a period of reduced tensions between East and West, the breakthrough of freedoms uh, in uh, former Iron Curtain countries, the rollback of dictatorships in Panama and Nicaragua, and successful liberation of Kuwait, the world continues to be a very dangerous place. As we approach the end of the second millennium of Christian history, there are many signs of apparent calm around us. Yet most of us are still uneasy. We sense there's a storm on the horizon. Now it's, 2000, now it's 2017. Um, we passed the calm. Uh, what we are sensing now is that the Bible is absolutely true. We passed the calm. We have entered into the storms that have landed on the shores of America and the shores of the entire world. And we get this eerie sense that the Bible is true and that the storms that we are beginning to experience are only the beginning of much greater storm that is coming. And that is what the Bible speaks of as we continue with the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And we pick up in Revelation chapter 6 and we read this. Let's read verses 1 through 8. John writes, Now I, I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, With a loud voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And, and I heard a loud voice, or a voice, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil or the wine. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. Wow. So the last time when we were in Revelation, and we were looking at the beginning of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, we looked first at verses 1 and 2 with the rider on the white horse. you remember that? So the rider on the white horse, when the first seal was opened, into the scene comes the Antichrist with his message of peace. And I am convinced that the world is more than willing to enter into an agreement of peace with anyone, even if it be the Antichrist. If we just observe just the current news, 
on a daily basis, people are fearful, as we know now. Fearful to go to church, there's going to be a shooting. Fearful to go to a concert, there's going to be a shooting. Fearful to walk down the streets of New York City, I might get run over by a truck. And the list is going on and on and on. Give us peace, may it be anybody, just give us peace. So we saw the Antichrist last time, but it reminded me of these words that are uh, purported to have been spoken by Henry Spack, who was Secretary General of NATO at one time and also with the UN. And he's quoted to have said, What we want is a man of sufficient stature to hold the alliances of all people and to lift us out of the economic morass in which we are sinking. Send us such a man, and be he God or devil, we will receive him. Um, I don't know if Henry Spack wrote that. People said he has. Uh, Snopes, I did a Snopes research. They said they can't verify one way or another, which in other words usually means yes. Um, But either way, that's where we are. People are saying we want peace. So the Antichrist came in, comes in on the white horse. We looked at it in detail last time, bringing his message of peace and diplomacy through flattery. And he went out conquering and to conquer. So we come to verses 3 and 4, and we have the next seal judgment that's open, and in comes the red horse. Look at verse 3 and 4 again. When he opened, this would be the Lord Jesus Christ, when he, the Lord, opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see. Look at this again, verse 4. And another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth. And that people should kill one another. And there was given to him, this rider on the red horse, a great sword. So let's refresh our memories a little bit about these judgments. These are known as, we just read, the seal judgments. The first judgment opens. It's the seal judgment, the white horse, the second seal judgment, the red horse, right? So there are 21 uh, judgments in the book of Revelation. They're all set to seven. There's seven seal judgments. After those comes the seven trumpet judgments and then the seven bowl judgments. Three times seven, 21 judgments. They unfold like a telescope. And so we're in the first part of the telescope, the seal judgments. These are the first two. That means after this, there's five more to come. But in the first seven, we have the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And then after this, we'll get to the trumpet judgments. And then uh, towards the end of the book of Revelation, you get to the seal or, or the, um, the, the bowl judgment. But let's begin here with that background and answer some questions. For, so the first question is this. What does the red horse represent? And we're going to look at this, and we are going to be able to figure out how these four horsemen of the apocalypse relate to us today. And we're also going to be able to see why it matters and why it should matter. But what does the red horse represent? Well, in this case, this is bad news. While the white horse uh, comes on the scene, which we saw last time, uh, represented peace, albeit a false peace, uh, as the Antichrist goes about conquering and to conquer, here, with the second horse, uh, when the seal is open, the second horse, the red horse, uh, we are reminded, or we know through the Bible, is the color of war, uh, it's the color of blood, it's also the color that is associated with Satan himself. For example, along with the color of war and the color of blood, regarding Satan, the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 3, tells us, that Satan is a great, fiery red dragon. 
And Satan, Revelation 17, verse 3, is also a scarlet beast. Uh, So we know when we come to the red horse that this is a very bad thing that is coming upon this planet. Whereas the first horse brings peace, albeit a false peace, right, the white horse. The second horse comes along, and we're told here, the second horse, verse 4, it takes peace from the earth. And we can know from what we just read that what the red horse represents, the red horse is the war horse. Now, uh, listen carefully, okay? I don't want you to be fooled or tricked by this. Um, and this is, I'm going to give you my opinion on this, all right? And, uh, he, but here's what some other Bible teachers say when it comes to Bible prophecy. They say that um, the peace comes along and that the Antichrist, when he comes into power, he brings peace throughout the entire world. And then so when the war horse shows up, it is war that is coming against the entire world. Um, I, I don't believe that's the case. I believe the Antichrist goes about conquering and to conquer, enter into, into all kinds of peace um, commitments with different nations. However, the only real peace that the Bible tells us that the Antichrist is able to confirm is a peace for Jerusalem during the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. In fact, I believe, when you look at the seven-year tribulation period, the safest place to be on the planet is going to be Jerusalem for three and a half years. Uh, but, but I believe even by the, what we're witnessing here and what we just read with this war horse, there is war, massive war, and I'm going to show you why massive war in just a second. There's massive war breaking out all over the planet except in Jerusalem at that time. In fact, in Isaiah chapter uh, 28, verses 14 and 15, we also know that the people of Jerusalem, the, the Jewish leaders in Israel at the time of the white horse, they enter into an agreement with the Antichrist for the purpose of avoiding the scourge that is threatening to come their way. It's like the Antichrist says, you want to avoid the, the horror that's going to come your way? You've got to enter into this agreement with me. So it appears that the, the, the main piece during the tribulation period in the very beginning is really centered on Jerusalem. It's a covenant with many. So there's going to be the nation surrounding it's Israel, the nation surrounding Israel, <coughs> Muslim nations, no doubt, and probably the UN is going to be in agreement. But again, it is for, specifically, Daniel chapter 9, the holy city and the holy people. The holy city is Jerusalem. So that's what that's about. But it appears that there's war that is breaking out uh, through much of the rest of the world during the entire first three and a half years of the tribulation period. Um, there will be wars, Jesus said, and rumors of wars. wars. And this, according to what we're reading here, there's going to be great war, worldwide war, greater than World War One and greater than World War Two, even in the beginning of the tribulation period. And many of the scholars that believe, like I believe in this area, believe that this is going to escalate into nuclear war uh, much worse than what happened in Hiroshima. And uh, we are witnessing the beginnings of that right now. So let's make some observations to help answer that first question, right? About the red horse. First observation we make is this. It was granted for this rider to take peace from the earth. So again, the white horse comes along. He's bringing peace, right? 
this writer comes along, he is taking away peace, but Jerusalem has already entered into a covenant with the Antichrist to protect it, Jerusalem and give Jerusalem peace, at least pseudo-peace, right? So our world has never faced a more volatile time than now. Uh, do you understand that? I mean, it really, ha- there's never been a threat to the existence of the people on this planet like there is right now. It has never been this bad before. There's been pockets throughout the history of the world with different empires, but nothing even compares to the planet in which we live right, right the times in which we live right now. Again, I want to remind you of this. I know I've said it in times past. Jesus said there would be wars and rumors of wars. They're going to escalate like birth pains upon a pregnant woman. So we've had really big wars in the past, World War I and World War II, but now they're escalating the wars and rumors of wars to the threat of complete nuclear annihilation. That is a pregnant sentence that Jesus says. And you start looking and going, oh, wow. So if, if that helps you to understand the times in which we live, I believe Jesus is coming, and I believe he's coming very, uh, very soon. Uh, there seems to be no shortage of world leaders right now that would think, you know what, I'm going to push a button. I'm going to make a call. I don't really care what happens to them and to just unleash whatever they have to unleash, especially if you consider some people like the leader in North Korea who might just think, hey, if I'm going down, I'm taking down everybody with me that I possibly can. So, so this is it. So this is what we have. We have Russia. We have Iran. We have China. We have India. We have Pakistan. We have Saudi Arabia. We have Iran. We have Israel. We have the United States. We have North Korea, we have Japan, we have South Korea. That's the short list of the really big problems that we can have. Consider this. Japanese Prime Minister uh, uh, said that his country absolutely cannot tolerate the nuclear test of North Korea because North Korea clearly plans to eliminate South Korea and Japan. And Japan, although not a nuclear power, has enough plutonium to construct about 1,000 nuclear bombs and it has the know-how to build them and can begin to construct them at any time, Japan could relatively quickly become an actual nuclear weapon power. And that, according to a report by the U.S. Congressional Research Service, could trigger catastrophic consequences because it escalates the problems in Asia even more. Uh, It's somewhat fascinating, but in a very horrific way, to watch as circumstances continue to align the nations and fine-tune the roles that each will play in the unfolding of Bible prophecy. And then you enter into the mix, Russia, Iran, Syria, Turkey, uh, Pakistan, India, Saudi Arabia, Israel, the United States, and, and so forth. And we have a very, very, very volatile situation. You know, I look at it, I think, the only reason why this thing is controlled is God has a very heavy hand. And he is holding this thing together until this time of the red horseman of the apocalypse. Um, so one observation, it was granted for this writer to take peace from the earth. Um, second observation, he was given a great sword. Uh, since this says a great sword here in verse 4, again we note that many scholars are, think it talking about nuclear war. The term for great is megas. Uh, We get our English term mega from it. Pretty easy. Megaphone, mega crowd, mega whatever. Right? So megas, it means exceedingly great. And by the way, now, 
Uh, it's also believed, when we think of exceedingly great, we think of nuclear armaments. And it's now believed that it's quite possible for a terrorist organization, you can even think of the drug cartel down in Mexico, to be able to have a drone that could have a nuclear device attached to it and do damage. Maybe not that massive, but still massive enough to cause some severe problems. You might be thinking, well, it might just be a small nuclear device. Well, how would you like to have a small nuclear device launched in your city? Right? So you start looking at this, and we start to see, okay, I can see the direction. So you have all these countries, kingdom against kingdom, and then we have the, the uh, we have terrorist organizations. And we can see, we can see which direction this is going. A third observation we make is, uh, it tells us here, with the, the uh, rider on the red horse, that people will kill one another. Um, look over, if you have a Bible, turn in the left of your Bible with me to Matthew 24 as we consider this, where people will kill um, one another. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. He's asked by his disciples, tell us when will these things be, meaning the destruction of Jerusalem that happened in 70 AD, and what is the sign, they're asking specifically, the sign of the end of the age. I don't care what anybody says, we have not reached the end of the age yet that they're talking about. And when and, and your return. Jesus hasn't come back yet. So what is this? Jesus said, Matthew 24, verse 4. He says to them, here's the sign, or signs, literally. Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Aha! That matches the first rider on the white horse, doesn't it? Deception, Right? Look at how this follows the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And we'll see it more with the next two horses. Uh, and also, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Wait a minute, second horse, red horse. Huh. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Listen, there's always been wars. There have been wars since, since Adam and Eve had their first two boys that are mentioned in the Bible. And there's been wars throughout the history of man. And there's going to be wars right up until the end. But they are going to grow. So Jesus says, see that you're not troubled, that these things must always be. But the end is not yet. Not yet. It's still going to get more intense. Uh, For nation will rise against nation, verse 7, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. These are going to line up perfectly with the coming, the other horsemen we're going to see in just a second. Then he says this, all these are the beginning of sorrows. The beginning of sorrows is a term of being pregnant and also paul wrote about um the birth pains being like a a, or the signs of the times being like birth pains upon a pregnant woman so that with the words of jesus beginning sorrows these are pregnancy pains so this is why these things will escalate okay why do i bring this up with revelation chapter six in the war horse because jesus says there'll be wars and rumors of wars nation will fight against nation uh, nation and kingdom against kingdom right so check this out the term nation Greek word ethnos, you've heard that before. We get the English word ethnic. It means people group. So Jesus is saying people group will fight against people group, and this will escalate. We're watching it. What do you think these terrorist attacks are? What do you think the attack was in Texas? You know, what do you think it was in, in a, you see, you hear about Antifa and Las Vegas and all these different things, whether it's Islamic or not, right? People group against people group. 
right? So nation will be against nation, and this with the war horse, kingdom will be against kingdom, Jesus said, right? It comes from this Greek word, and it means royalty, kingdom, rule, or reign. The implication from this, and with the book of Revelation chapter 6, with the war horse, is that although the Antichrist ushers in a short time of peace in Jerusalem, following on its heels, just like you have the deception here with the first warning Jesus gives, beware that nobody deceives you, next thing is wars and rumors of wars, kingdom against kingdom. The implication is that following on the heels of the white horse, the war horse comes and war breaks out all over the globe. And we are foolish if we think that the world will have lasting peace as long as evil and godless men are the heads of nations. As far back as we can measure, there's been a recorded a 1,472 arms buildups and increasing of armies. That, by the way, just for all you grammar people, I do understand that should have said there have been, but that's me. I'm a has-been. So that's where we get that from. Every time there's been an arms buildup, guess what's happened? It's, all right, it's ended in war. Uh, we live in a generation that for the first time in history of mankind has the potential and the hatred to destroy itself, and that is what Jesus warned about. He said, For then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be, and unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days are shortened. So we have the rider on the, the red horse. Let's move on. Want to get through this? Back to Revelation chapter 6. Look again, verses 5 and 6. This is the next rider, the rider on the black horse. When the Lord opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley uh, for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and do not harm the wine. So what does this, number two, second question, what does this, what does the black horse represent? Now, although black can often be associated with something good, for example, I know that if I'm wearing black pants and a black shirt, I look slimmer. And I prefer that, but, you know, it is what it is. I also prefer a black car with blacked out windows. That's me. Um, a diamond displayed with a black backdrop can look absolutely beautiful, but as it is with the color red, which is very bad news, here with the color black, this is also very bad news. Um, it's it's a, like a funeral uh, is what this is representing here. So the black horse symbolizes mourning. Uh, what's going on? There's famine and a great economic collapse. Uh, famine follows war like night follows day. So with that thought, let's make a few observations about this black horse before we get to the final horse, the pale horse. Do you think you can? Okay. Observation. One, this rider carries a pair of scales in his hand. That's what John saw. What does this symbolize? It symbolizes that food will be scarce, and in order to be rationed, food is going to have to be weighed out. Uh, from do something.org, this reports 
Each year, three million children under five die of preventable hunger-related issues. Three million children. Around the world, 805 million people are hungry. Asia and Africa are the largest, have the largest number of hungry people. Hunger is number one on the list of the world's top ten health risks. It kills more people every year than AIDS, malaria, and tuberculosis combined. Hunger is the single biggest solvable problem facing the world today. 2.2 billion people live on less than $2 a day. It's solvable, is what this article says, uh, which I believe. But it's not going to be solved by man. I know that because man messes up everything. Hence, again, we look at our country, get rid of God. Don't, you, you cannot talk about Jesus, but you better lift up Allah. Right? I mean, that's where we live. Oh, keep Jesus out, lift up Allah. What do we have? We've got a mess. Well, we're going to solve this problem. We're going to fix it. Man is going to usher in utopia. It's not going to happen that way. And the book of Revelation tells us, you think you've got a famine problem now? What is coming because of the decisions of man is going to be far worse. I don't know how many of you have paid attention to what's going on over in Venezuela. Venezuela is an absolute nightmare for anybody who lives there. An economic disaster, worse than the depression of the 1930s in America. Far worse. Uh, Worse than the time in Germany before Hitler came into power. It's gotten so bad that... um, People are killing each other over just being able to have a meal in Venezuela. But what the Bible is expressing is going to be something far worse than uh, far worse than that. It's hard to imagine. Another observation. A voice says a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. So what's a denarius? A denarius, at the time of the Bible, represented a day's wage. Uh, you rem- might remember in Matthew chapter 20... When, when uh, Jesus gave the parable of the vineyard workers and the, the, the owner of the vineyard said, hey, if you come and work for me in the morning, I'll give you a denarius for your day's wage. And you remember that? So a denarius represents a day's wage. Uh, but here in the book of Revelation, these are very bad times. An adult will work all day for enough money to buy a quart of wheat, right? And um, that's just to eat. That's enough to keep one person alive for a day. It does not provide housing, health care, transportation, or clothes, and it certainly doesn't provide recreation. It is enough for one person to survive as a homeless person. Right, so you look at the homeless situation we have in America now, and this is going to um, be enormously larger, is what we find out here. And also you think uh, most adults are caring for somebody else whether it be children or grandchildren or whoever's in your sphere of influence that you can care for or you're caring for the elderly or you're caring for somebody that's disabled. Um, This is only enough food for one person for one day. Hence, three quarts of barley, one quart of wheat or three quarts of barley uh, because you can get more food with three quarts of barley than one quart of wheat. One quart of wheat is enough to keep one person alive for a day. Three quarts of barley. Listen, barley was poor people's food. Barley was food that was given to animals to eat. And so the Bible's telling us it's going to be so bad that for a family just to survive being homeless, 
they're going to be eating barley food an entire day of wage, um, or wage for a day is what's going to be required just for that, just to be homeless, surviving, right? Think back to the time um, just before World War II and just before uh, Hitler got into power. Uh, it's been reported that you could have an entire wheelbarrow full of money in Germany and um, just to get a meal. And because because of the problem with inflation and also the problem with deflation. you got all these things going on at the same time. And uh, so you look at that and you think, could that really happen in the future? It is happening in Venezuela right now. According to the Bible, it is going to happen again. Your money will be worth nothing. Consider this. I think we got enough time. Will you give me a few more minutes? Will you give me like an hour? Well, I'm not going to take. I'm not going. I'm going to take that much of your time because I'm hungry. But um, but just consider this, right? So I want you to help help you understand the economy and the problems we have with the economy. And I'm going to use an illustration of seconds to help you understand that, right? So I got to read this with my glasses on because I can't read what I wrote. Um, one day of seconds is 86,400 seconds, right? One day of seconds. A million seconds is 11 and a half days ago. Okay? Are you tracking with me? Now, I want you to understand this, where we're going. It's reported now that we have, I think America is about $20 trillion in debt. Right? We've got a huge problem. So we're going to figure out how long, how, how, what a trillion is. Right? So a, a day is 86,400 seconds. A million seconds is 11 and a half days ago. Understand how much more... Uh, how much larger the debt of a trillion is than a million, right? So a million seconds is 11 and a half days ago. A billion seconds is 31.2 years ago. All right, big difference between a million and a billion. You might be a millionaire, but you're nowhere near a billionaire yet, right? So big difference. 11 and a half days, 31.2 years for a billion seconds. You know how far back a trillion seconds is? You guys sitting down? Oh, you are sitting down. Ready? You ready? 31,200 years ago. One trillion seconds. So, there you go. We got 20 trillion seconds worth of dollars of debt. That's a huge problem. Understand this also. The United States economy is by far in better shape than pretty much the entire rest of the world. Russia's a mess. Europe is a mess. Asia's a mess. Africa's a mess. This world's economy is a mess. And the United States is better off than pretty much everywhere else. Maybe Israel. Israel's very tiny, though. Right? Um, and you look at this and you go, wow, what is coming? What is coming is, is not pretty. I did this message in my Define series on the economy, and I asked this question, how far are we from the black horse of, of the tribulation? I simply said, a few short steps. Um, what's going to happen is the Antichrist is going to be able to seize power through a collapsed economy. The way that Hitler was able to uh, achieve his power through the collapsed economy in Germany is going to be much greater than that. Uh, it's gonna, uh, but I also ask this question, who is it that has all of the money? Um, I wrote the world bankers, uh, the ultra-rich, the Federal Reserve and like institutions in other nations, and also the elite. 
So right now in America, we are watching the stock market, man. It is shooting up and up and up and up. It is going to the moon. But then it's going to come back. It's going to the moon and back. Um, and it's not going to be good. Does that make sense? Now, when it gets to the point of this black horse, I'm not going to be here. And I don't think you guys are going to be here either if you know Jesus. I believe I'm going to be raptured. But what is being spoken of here is really, 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 really bad. Is that making sense? Okay. Uh, third observation that we'll move to the final thing is uh, the voice regarding the black horse also says, do not harm the oil and the wine. So these are luxury items, the oil and the wine. The elite are not affected by this judgment. That's what's going on here. So you have pretty much everybody in the world is suffering severe famine and economic collapse. But there's an elite group at the top. Woohoo! we've got it made. Look at all those poor losers down there. Uh, I, I believe this is proof that the events of the writers, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, are orchestrated events by men. Now let me explain that also. I've had this conversation with friends of mine who teach Bible prophecy. And uh, most prophecy teachers will say the rider on the white horse, the ones who believe in the rapture, will say the rider on the white horse is the Antichrist. But the rider on the black, on the red, the black, and the pale horse, um, those are events that happen. I say, well, if you interpret the rider on the white horse as being a man or a group that goes about bringing peace by diplomacy, then you have to take that same... Uh, type of, um, of you have to hold the same standards of interpretation with the rider on the, the red horse, the black horse, and the pale horse. You can't suddenly switch the way you interpret it just because it doesn't fit your thinking. I'm convinced this evidence, don't touch the oil or the wine, speaks of an orchestrated financial collapse. There are men that are powerful that are going to be pushing the buttons to have massive nuclear war hit the planet, the rider on the red horse. There are men that are powerful, that hold, they're like puppet masters, holding the strings of the economy. Uh, uh, elite groups. And people think, well, you're just a conspiracy nut. Listen, I know I'm a nut, but I'm not a conspiracy nut, except for where the Bible gives me the understanding of what on earth is going on, and then it begins to make sense. But now we enter into the very last, the pale horse, and I'll get this done as quickly as I can, and I don't have a lot of notes left, so we're going to make it. I remember when Chuck Smith, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, years ago, he said, the brain can only retain what the seat can only endure. All right, now I'm hoping that your seats can endure just a few more minutes. You ready? <laughs> it, was, it was an admonition. Don't go too long. So I'm going to try, try to get through this quickly. Ready? The fourth horse. When he opened the fourth seal... I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed him, or Death and Hell followed him. And, and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth. Notice, to them over the fourth of the earth. To kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. So this last horse brings us to this last question. What does the pale horse represent? I'm glad you asked, and I have answers. Right? The pale horse represents death. Um, the color, or, or the Greek word translated here as pale, uh, is chloros in the Greek. And it gives us the English words chlorine and chlorophyll. And it, it, it translates as greenish. Um, 
chlorine is greenish yellow in color. Chlorophyll is, is, the, is the green pigment in leaves and plants. Um, the NLT rightly translates this, New Living Translation, rightly translates this verse as saying, I looked up and saw a horse whose color was pale green. So this is dramatic. Pale green is the color of a recently deceased human corpse. This is gross. This, this was being conveyed. Uh, so it fits uh, because this writer's name is Death. Regarding this writer, in Jewish tradition, uh, there was an angel of death. And that may be what John is doing here as he sees this and he's told by the angel. Because remember, the primary audience is the Jews. Even when it comes to the book of Revelation, the tribulation's main purpose is the redemption of the Jewish people. Right? And there's judgment coming upon the whole world. But ultimately it's about the Jews and to the Jews and for the Jews. And the rest of us are either blessed because we know the Lord or we are cursed because we do not. So, so that's how... Uh, that fits together. A couple of observations, only two observations with this art. Uh, number one, his name is Death, and Hades followed him. Um, this reminds me of the words from the movie Tombstone with Val Kilmer. In one of the opening scenes, it comes in, and he goes, please don't be offended by this, but uh, I'm coming, and hell's coming with me. And uh, that's what he says here. Death is coming, and hell's coming with me. Hades is coming with me. I saw, look again. So if it offends you, because Val Kilmer said it, remember, the Bible says it first. (laughs) The name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed him. Right? Hell is coming with him. This is bad. What this is, is this picture is shock and awful. Not shock and awe. This is shock and absolutely awful. So the first observation we make his name is death and hades followed him or hell followed him very bad very bad the second observation power was given to kill with sword hunger with death and by the beasts of the earth so what is this about well what happens with this horseman um is is somewhat predictable um you have war, and then you have economic collapse and famine, and death is going to happen. But I believe if the first three horsemen are orchestrated by, by men, which is easy to make that case with the first three horsemen of the apocalypse, then the pale horse would also have to fit into that category to some extent also. And, and you think, so death is going to come to the planet orchestrated by men with the war, with the famine, with the economic collapse, and with these other methods that are here. There is a lot of talk through the UN and through climate treaties that there are too many people on the planet. Um, if you listen, if you if just reflect back about 15 or 20 years, and remember all these, these commercials you would see all the time about reaching out to these people in third world countries who are suffering and dying, and there are concerts about them. Remember all those relief things? You never hear about those things anymore. I'm convinced that, you know, I'll probably get in trouble for saying this by somebody who's watching on YouTube, but I'm convinced, again, that there is an orchestrated um, event to get rid of certain populations of the planet right now. 
And so you don't have these major outreaches. I read that article earlier that said the, the problem with hunger is it's avoidable. It's, we can do something about it. But man isn't doing anything about it. You've got politics involved, and you have people from the Vatican that are saying there are too many people on the planet already, and we need to eliminate them. So I look at all of this, and, and I consider this. It says here 20, a quarter of the world is going to die when this pale horse comes on the scene. Right now there's 7.6 billion people on the planet. A quarter of that would be 1.9 billion. And if Jesus tarries much longer, it'll be up to 8 billion. So uh, 1.9 or 2 billion people is a lot of people. However, what this is, is like nothing ever before. In the time of Noah, only Noah's family survived the flood. You remember? It was just him and his family. There's eight people that survived the flood. The rest of the planet was wiped out. That's over 99% was wiped out. However, in the time of Noah, the population would have been in the millions here in the world now, the population is in the billions. So although the percentage of people died at the time of Noah was greater, the masses of people dying just at this point of the tribulation, this is only first four judgments, a quarter of the world, two billion people dying. Again, I want to bring up this passage. Jesus said, for then there will be great tribulation such as not been a time never before since the beginning of the world until this time no nor ever shall be, and unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days are shortened. And it starts to all make sense. I want to point out this, and then we're going to wrap up. How do the people die with the pale horse? Well, one of them is with the sword. Okay. With the red horse, it was the great sword, mega war. The word for sword that's used here is, is a different word. It's rompheia. And it's a sword that a person carries. It's, it's a weapon of a single person. Um, so any kind of weapon of a single person is what it represents. A person that goes up and kills another person. A person that goes and kills a group of people. A weapon we know today can be a gun. It can be a sword. It can be a knife. It can be a truck. It can be a van. It can be a bus. Can, a weapon can be almost anything you want to use to kill somebody else. So that's what's happening here as people are killing one Another, people group against people group, uh, brother against brother, father against son, son against father is the way that Jesus wrote about it. And, and there's also many people that believe it'll be a time of rising vigilantes because people are going to look out there and say, you know what, the government ain't doing nothing about this. There's criminals roaming the streets of Hemet, California, and I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And we have it happening all, it's not just in California, by the way. This stuff's happening all over the place. And we're watching it, and people are fed up. I praise God again. I believe I'm getting raptured out of here. But people who are left behind are going to be thinking, you know what, I want to take matters into my, into my hands. They're also going to die by hunger. This is starvation. And they're going to divide. We've already looked at starvation. So I'm not going to go into those details. And they're also going to die. It says here, now this is kind of odd. It says here, um, so power was given them to over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword hunger and with death. To kill with death. Well, that doesn't even make any sense. That's like, I murdered him until he was dead. Well, aren't those like the same thing? You know, I killed with death. It, it, it really is the same thing. But the Greek word that's used here can also mean pestilence. And the NASB translates this as killed with pestilence. And I believe that is actually what is going on uh, here again, we're watching the rise of pestilence on this planet. 
and the final one by the beasts of the earth. Uh, what could this mean? Well, it could mean a lot of different things. I'm going to give you the shortened Reader's Digest version. Um, right now, we live in a time where people want to save all of the animals. We're going to save the Bengal tigers. We're going to save the bears. We're going to save, we're going to save all these things. And uh, we may get an ecosystem that's completely out of whack. Um, but also think of this. When a rapture takes place, what's going to happen with all the other animals and you have less people for people control? And this might sound bad to some of y'all, but I mean, some of you are pet lovers. I understand that I have a dog. I've got a cat. I, I'm convinced my cat's going to take care of itself. It's always catching rats and eating them. It's kind of gross. I don't know if your cat does that, but it's great for the rat population. But, and, you know, but ugh, it's just gross to see this half-eaten rat at your front door. You're like, that's attractive. It's gross. Just saying. But what happens? You know, so but we're, I, consider this. Um, humanity spends millions and millions of dollars each year to preserve tigers. Uh, they're beautiful. It would be a shame for them to disappear. But a, but a group of women known as uh, the Tiger Widows of Sund- Sundarbans uh, might see it differently. Sundarbans is a swamp area on the Bay of Bengal coast. Part of it's in India. Part of it's in Pakistan. But USA Today ran a feature story on these women. They regularly lose husbands to tigers in the region of Sundarbans. The husbands go out crab fishing. The tigers get them and they never see them again. So when the fourth seal is loosed, many more people will feel about tigers the way that these widows do now. And again, we note the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. What did he say? Nation will rise against nation. Think of red horse. Right? The white horse, don't be deceived. The red horse, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, the black horse. And there will be pestilence, the pale horse. And then we'll get to the earthquakes uh, coming up before we're done with Revelation chapter 6. What is fascinating about these things is what the Bible uh, said so many centuries ago, and now um, we are seeing them uh, coming to pass. Uh, Tim LaHaye mentioned how when he spoke on on this one time, a man from the audience came up to him afterward and said, we are so close that I can hear the hoofbeats of the four horsemen. He replied, don't listen for the hoofbeats, but but the believer should listen for a shout for the trumpet must come first. I like that. And I'm looking at things thinking we can already see the hoofbeats. But then when I see all of this connecting with where we are right now in the Bible, I remember these things. When you see these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Folks, Jesus is coming. We are witnessing terror attacks. We're witnessing church shootings. We are witnessing things all over the globe. We're witnessing famines. We're witnessing pestilence. We're witnessing hurricanes. We're we're witnessing wars and rumors of wars in in a way that we've never seen before. Jesus said it would be this way. All right? So things are not falling apart. They're falling into place. The Lord told us this is the way things will look. It's going to be bad. They're going to want to get rid of me. But because they're wanting to get rid of me and everything is happening this way, you know that your redemption draws near. Jesus is coming. Amen?